by the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Buy the Book with Lee Chuilin. And as always, my fellow um, fiction reader, Sharmila Ganesan. Hello. And joining us today, uh, we have a an author. Um, today, we'll be speaking with Catherine Menon about her debut novel, Fragile Monsters. Um, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So, um, in lieu of us trying to describe the book, it's become a bit of a tradition for us uh, to start our interviews with this question, just to avoid spoilers. Um, how would you describe your book, Fragile Monsters? I would describe it as a family story about a granddaughter and grandmother who are trying to reconnect after some traumatic experiences that the family had gone through during the Second World War. Uh, and trying to reconcile their very different life views on uh, what the true interpretation of the past should really be. And Catherine, you have Malaysian roots. Uh, correct me if I get this wrong, but essentially your father's Malaysian. Uh, you grew up in Australia and now you live in the UK. Um, what was the starting point of the story for you? Where did the idea come from? It actually came from stories that my own father used to tell me uh, when I was a child. So essentially bedtime stories about his own childhood in Kuala Lipist in Paha. And as a child, I was completely unaware of the, the full context of those stories. And it was only really when I became a teenager that I actually began to understand the landscape, because, of course, uh, Kuala Lipis was the headquarters of the Japanese occupation in, in Pahang. So all of these stories which he had been telling me about the wonderful adventures he'd had uh, all took place under... That, uh, that that occupation, that, that really turbulent social and economic landscape. So that began to be something that I really wanted to explore, the way that we can reinterpret what happened in our past, uh, recast it into a, a light that might be suitable to, to tell our five-year-old daughter about, for example, and really start to interrogate to what extent we can own our past narratives and to what extent we owe ourselves to acknowledge the truth about them. And um, I'm curious to know what kind of research you did to capture what Malaya would have felt like during the war and how Kuala Lipis would then have felt like in the 80s, because that's, of course, the two frames that the story lives in. And um, as you say, you know, you have these personal stories, but I would imagine that there's also a, a fair amount of research you would have had to do to capture the feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for the 1980s, I was able to to shamelessly borrow from my own recollections. So there's an awful lot of, um, of, of real life description that's gone into those. But in terms particularly of researching the, the period during the war and before that, um, I spent an awful lot of time trawling through, uh, through books in the British library, through uh, uh, one thing which I found was very, very helpful were primary sources. So it was really important to me, being a book about voice, that uh, the research I did would uh, include people speaking in their own voice about their experiences. 
So I was lucky enough to find in the British Library in, in London here a whole trove, a treasure trove of interviews with people conducted asking them about their experiences. Some of the interviews were even contemporaneous. They were uh, people recording what it was like for them at the time. And there was a very real immediacy to those that I don't think you get in in textbooks and mainstream media. So certainly I, I did read textbooks, I did read the, the usual history books, but I found that they were fairly lacking in telling people's individual stories. So our mainstream view of, of history is often often a very male perspective and and it's all about big things like the movements of armies and and international treaties whereas of course um during the war people's emotional landscape was on a very different scale they were worried about can i get food for my children what is the street looking like now are there any any houses that have been destroyed uh, where will my children go to school how will i find a job and I think particularly, as I said, women's stories tend not to be represented in, in mainstream books. So these these direct narratives, I found, were incredibly helpful in being able to step into that world. The thing with history and historical events, particularly from smaller countries, from those, quote unquote, less prominent parts of the world, um, they do tend to be rather unfamiliar to many readers. And your story in particular talks about so many things that even to Malaysians are often not as as familiar. You know, the um, Japanese occupation, yes, but the emergency, um, the uh, leprosy uh, phase in, in Pahang, uh, the communist insurgency, all of these things. What was the push and pull between writing this, making these events relatable, familiar, but not sort of throwing in exposition after exposition? Goodness, that's a really good question, because it took me a lot of of iterations to get it right, because obviously you you, you don't want to, to risk completely alienating a reader who perhaps doesn't know anything about this history and is curious to learn but uh, really doesn't have any context for it. But at the same time, you don't want to turn it into a history book and explain people's own own experiences to them. Uh, One thing which I found was very helpful was positioning Durga as an outsider herself. So she has spent 10 years in Canada in a a, a very Eurocentric or, or almost US-centric, if I can say that, um, uh, uh, environment. And she's come back and it is so unfamiliar to her now, even though she grew up there, that a lot of these things, a lot of customs, a lot of understanding of the social fabric, she actually needs help with. She needs to have somebody explain it to her or she accidentally does something wrong. And I found that was very helpful. It's I think it's easier to relate to someone who is an outsider sometimes and who is going through quite a lot of of soul searching. So that, I I, I hope, made Durga slightly more relatable as a character. You mentioned Durga. uh, You also mentioned female narratives. And these are really things that I think we're going to spend the... Uh, the bulk of the rest of our interview exploring. But I did want to touch on the fact that uh, you talked earlier about the desire of trying to evoke and translate personal narratives, especially when it comes to living through such fraught times. Um, What kind of work went into capturing 
how it would be that people spoke and behaved, how it would have felt to actually live in that period? Quite a lot of work, actually. I, I think, with, uh, as you as you must have discussed previously, I think with uh, research for writing a novel, it, it's a bit like an iceberg, isn't it? Perhaps only one tenth goes into the the novel, but you couldn't write it without the other the other nine tenths. So I've, I again, I found. Turning to things like contemporary newspapers was very helpful because it really helped me learn what people would have found interesting in those times. So certainly pre-war, when when Mary, the the grandmother, is growing up, uh, I found that looking at, at newspapers from the 1930s, 1920s was very helpful because it told me all sorts of trivia, like uh, how expensive clothes would have been or um, what people were thinking about the weather at the time, or what movies had come out, and, and what radio shows were people interested in. So it really helped get me into that that mindset, that that um, almost almost to immerse myself in this world of details, which I found was was actually necessary, even if those individual details didn't make it into the story. The Women, and we've mentioned Durga, but uh, really there are a number of women um, and they're all complicated in, in many ways, right? So let's take Durga and Mary, who are the two women that we sort of circle around the most. What was the starting point of their relationship and the characterization? I had in my head for a long time, even before I began writing the, the novel, I had in my head this this image of uh, an old lady, an older lady who wasn't going to take any nonsense, standing there with her hands on her hips, glaring at her granddaughter who was glaring back. And I think that Perhaps that that image has has translated itself into the the pages of Fragile Monsters, because certainly over this time period there was obviously such a huge upheaval in uh, in society in Malaysia that I think it is inevitable that a woman like Mary, whose um, opportunities were quite limited, who was very very self willed but did not have the same opportunities to express that as her granddaughter would have later. I think it's inevitable that there would have been conflict when Durga comes along later and and essentially upends things for, for Mary. I think also it was very important to me to really get into the the differences in their perspective on truth. So Durga is a mathematician. She's convinced that everything has to be black and white. And if you can't prove it, if it, you can't write it down numerically in an equation, it's not true. And Mary, of course, is the exact opposite. She says, if it doesn't make a good story, it's not true. So there's a, a huge ground for conflict there. And of course, to a certain extent, they're both right. But as characters, they're, they're quite firmly um, but firmly stuck in their respective ends of the spectrum. So I think it it is a very fertile ground for those sorts of conflict, which, which tend to make uh, something interesting to read about. We're speaking today with author Catherine Menon about her debut novel, Fragile Monsters, which, um, as we've said, is 
in some ways a family story. It's also a story that touches on history, on memory, on the different ways in which we share our narratives. Um, after this, we're going to continue this conversation. Let us know, though. I mean, do you enjoy novels about family, um, about history for that matter, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, or of course, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Buy the Book with Lynn and Sharmila. Joining us today is Catherine Menon, and we're talking about her debut novel, Fragile Monsters. Um, and we've talked quite a bit about how the story um, has, at, at its frame, um, a relationship between a grandmother and a granddaughter. Um, it's told as well in sort of different periods of history in Kuala Lipis. And I wanted to dive in a little bit more into uh, the, the behavior, really, of both Durga and Mary, because they behave in ways that I think many people might be uncomfortable with. These are, in some senses, wild, unruly women, um, especially for their time. Um, I, I'm thinking, for instance, about how Mary thinks about and behaves towards her friend, and I really enjoyed that very intimate and uncomfortable slice of jealousy and competition and how it plays out. What was it like writing that? It was actually a lot of fun. I think particularly when we think of female relationships in the past, we tend to almost diminish them. We tend to think of them, uh, particularly among young women or, or girls, as being, you know, in the phrase sugar and spice and, and everything nice. But of course, little girls aren't sugar and spice. Little girls are life-size to other little girls. So there's this really intense kind of relationship that you can have um, uh, where there's a, a lot of affection bound up in it, but also a lot of exactly as you say, Lynn, that that competitiveness, that that jealousy. And I think it's absolutely correct to say that that neither Mary nor, nor Durga um, deal very well with that. So Mary in particular um, in her, her time period, is extremely opinionated, almost selfish, um, in a way that certainly at the time period uh, would have been frowned upon. But perhaps looking back, we see as, as almost admirable because she really is fighting, I think, as a, you know, as, as the, the, the real Marys in the world would have been, um, is it, sort of fighting for her place, fighting for her right to, to have that opinion, to, to be an unlikable woman which, of course, is, is almost a compliment, I would have thought. <laughs> the other thing that the novel sort of... Um sort of dwells on very strongly against this backdrop of general historical trauma and, and, and events is generational trauma. Um, this idea of pain being passed on from, from generation to generation, specifically from woman to woman even. Why was that an important element for you to explore? I think it was really important to me to show that traumatic events um, in society don't just disappear as soon as the war is over or the occupation is over or the, the last bomb falls. So it, it really isn't a case um, of everything going back to normal. And I think perhaps as a character, Durga is inclined to think that it should be. She thinks that's the past. I've put a tick box against it. And 
Mary is perhaps a little more wise. Um, I One of the things which I, I did try to bring out in the novel is this idea that, of course, Mary's own upbringing has not been, been a, a, a wonderful uh, upbringing. Her, her own mother has been absent. Um, Druga's mother, Francesca, without spoilers, is also absent throughout the story. And I think it's inevitable that those flaws, those lacunae, those omissions, uh, are going to be present in the way that that Mary brought up her own granddaughter, Durga. So there is going to be a certain amount of generational trauma, even if it's only identifiable in terms of the holes, in terms of what's missing. You know, this wonderful maternal figure is completely missing from Durga's life. So of course, she's scarred by that, but in a way which she can't even necessarily express, which I think is one of the uh, one of the worst issues with this generational trauma, that not only do you have to deal with it, but you don't have the background and context to express what it is that you're missing, in a sense. I love that you bring up that idea of what is missing or, or the holes that exist, because the idea of a, being left behind, but B, also of being the one doing the leaving, um, is a very strong, very almost literal part of the story. Um, what drew you to wanting to tell it through this lens, to having this sort of push and pull? I think um, almost because that type of thing has been explored in terms of parent-child uh, relationships, the, the coming-of-age story, but perhaps less in terms of the, the effect on, on wider generations. So I wanted really to explore what would happen when both the granddaughter and the grandmother are exactly, as you say, leaving each other in, in different senses, but also have that, that trauma, that... that um, uh, difficulty of being the one left behind. In some cases, literally. So obviously, Durga goes off to Canada uh, uh, and and leaves Mary behind. And equally, uh, Mary, um, uh, again without spoilers, uh, Mary can be said in some sense to have left her own daughter behind. So what I really wanted to explore was the idea that it's almost inevitable. If you leave, you will inevitably be left. So it's quite a, a a tricky plot line to tease out. But this idea, again, of the trauma of being left uh, as a repercussion throughout subsequent generations. And the story as a whole is really stories. It's it's told um, to each other. It's shared stories. It's unreliable stories. And really, um, this slippery idea of what memory is, right? That's a very strong part of the novel. What were you trying to capture in terms of um, the stories that these characters share with one another? And also equally important, what they don't share with each other? Yes, that, that's a really important point. That all of the these, all of these characters are telling stories. Uh, sometimes, literally, Mary is, is, is telling a literal bedtime story to, to Durga. Uh, and sometimes metaphorically, where Durga in particular is constructing a narrative. Uh, and that narrative might be black and white and numerical, but it's just as much a, a story. And all of those stories have holes. All of them have things that the teller doesn't want to say and has decided Great, I will just leave it out of my story. It doesn't exist anymore, which, of course, we as as readers can see. But within the, the world of the book, within that construct, the characters themselves aren't able to see. 
And I really wanted to explore this uh, this notion of stories, this notion of stories versus truth. Um, also to, to start looking at the difference between um, what we generally perceive as complete opposites, the, the world of science, the world of mathematics, and the world of, of fiction, which Durga and Mary obviously do live in. Um, I really wanted to explore how those could be linked, even if it's via two characters who are adamant that there is no link whatsoever. Uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about the women. I wanted to ask one question about men. So um, the one Western or, or white character in the book is a very interesting one because he is very intimate with the family, but he is also very much an outsider. And he moves through the world of small town Pahang in a very particular way. There's a lot there about privilege, about power dynamics. Um, what was your intention, I guess, with, with this character and the, the pivotal role that he plays in the family? I really wanted to show that he was a character who had an escape in a way that Durga, for example, didn't. So this character, uh, Tom, is able, after a particularly traumatic childhood event that involves Durga, he is able, by virtue of his economic and racial and class privilege, to simply leave it all behind. He perhaps is the the only person in the story who, who thinks he genuinely has left trauma in the past. And, of course, as we see, he is his he is wrong. He carries that trauma with him. But he represents the uh, almost something unattainable for both Durga and Mary, that um, he has been given all of these gifts or, or all of these privileges, and he's using them to run away. So I think both of those characters um, come to the realisation towards the end that this is um, that this is not the use that they want to make of the privileges they have because they've seen how it played out for for Tom. Speaking of Tom, um, we do hear of um, a a different character who kind of comes to uh, Malaya during the British colonial times. So colonization, while not um, an immediate presence, is a shaper of a lot of the things that we see in the story. Um, What was the sort of approach you wanted to take in terms of depicting the impact of that? I really wanted to show how colonialism in in Malaya, as it was at the time, uh, really wasn't the the integrated society that I think it is sometimes presented as in mainstream media. You sometimes see it presented as, oh gosh, this was was wonderful for everybody, which of course it it, it absolutely wasn't. Um, it's also interesting because. Um, so many different segments of, of Malaysian society were uh, were immigrants at the time. This wasn't a, a case of colonialism where one power came in and completely uh, uh, took over an existing population. There were people obviously coming from from uh, mainland China, from India, uh, people coming from from Britain. And while the British were the the class that had the most power. I think it's very interesting to explore the relationship between all of those different segments of society. Uh, how did um, you know? How did the Malays feel about the the Indians at the time? How did the Indians feel about the Chinese? And of course, how did the British completely fail to distinguish between any of these distinctions in society? I think um, Mary's father, in particular Stephen, is completely unaware of them. 
he doesn't see at all how his his wife Marika um, is could feel not at home here. He 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 lumps everything as there is England and there is the rest of the world, and since his wife is from the rest of the world, she should be completely at home. So he is perhaps the most oblivious character in the entire novel, I would say. Now, um, this is something that we haven't brought up yet, but you're a mathematician, um, and this is something that makes its way into the novel. I was wondering if you could talk to us about the connection between mathematics and writing for you and how that surfaced in the story. For me, um, I would say that mathematics and writing feel very, very interconnected. So when I'm sitting there working out a, a mathematical proof, it feels in the same way as though I'm writing a story. And I know that we tend to consider them as very separate, um, very separate activities. But in the world of mathematics, when you discuss a proof, you use words like elegant and interesting and significant. So the proof does have to be correct. Two plus two do have to equal four. But within that, there's a, a huge amount of scope for uh, refining the proof, for making it something that's of interest to a reader, which is, I would argue, what we do in fiction. We have to use the the words which convey what we're actually attempting to. But within that, there's a huge difference between a newspaper article and a, a, and a, a work of fiction. So for me, I think they really are connected in a way that uh, I would hope um, we start to see a little bit more of um, sort of as, as things move forward. I think there is a, a very strong linkage um, between a mathematical viewpoint and a fiction viewpoint that perhaps can be brought out, as I said, via characters in a novel, if, if, not, if not via anything else. This was your debut novel. Um, do you have some ideas on what sorts of writing you might want to continue to do? I do. So I'm currently uh, working on my second novel, which I'm, I'm very excited about, which is, uh, again, looking at some of these emerging themes of, of identity, of, of uh, coming of age and of the way that the past can, uh, can still haunt us, even when we think we've left it behind. Catherine, uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. We've been speaking today with Catherine Menon, um, author about her debut novel, Fragile Monsters, uh, which, as we've been talking about, is is a rather complex and beautiful story. It focuses on family, but it also tells um, snippets of history and memory and narratives. Uh, let us know, have you read Fragile Monsters? Do you like reading books that focus on family, on history? You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can write to us, of course, at buythebook at bfm.my. And that brings us to footnotes and uh, what we do in this section of the show after um, speaking to the author of the book is we review the book itself, a mini review of sorts. And so again, we're talking about Catherine Menon's Fragile, fragile Monsters um, and... 
I I have to say that I really enjoyed the reading experience um, of the book. So once I started, I was fully sucked in and it was one of those reads where I stayed up. um, I wanted to know what was going to happen. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, the writing and the voice being very strong and distinct. But also um, what in talking to Catherine and thinking about it, I realize it's because the mystery that lives at the heart of the book is not one that is explicit. It's more one that is layered in and layered upon. So the more you read the book, the more you want to know, wait, what is the heart of this? What is actually going on? It's interesting that you said you enjoyed the reading experience um, because I think it's difficult to say that you enjoyed the book. It's not that kind of story. It's a deeply uncomfortable story. Um, Parts of it made me very sad. Parts of it disturbed me greatly. Um, Parts of it made me angry. And I don't think any of those are bad things. But I also really, really enjoyed the experience of this book. Um, I loved the story. I loved all the different stories that sort of twine together and and merge and meld and make up the story. And I think those are, you know, the layers that you're talking about, right? Because there is a mystery and that's sort of introduced fairly early on, uh, how certain characters came to be, um, what is the context for these people that we start reading about. And until the last page, you're never quite sure. It sort of takes its time unveiling all of this to you. Um, I think it's such a beautifully crafted book and that's what strikes out to me the most. Especially because it's a debut. So I think that um, when I spoke about the voice earlier, it felt very assured. Um, and I think in in hearing what Catherine had to say earlier about the amount of research and thought that went into trying to shape that, it makes more sense because um, that assuredness, that that steady hand kind of saying, this is where we are, okay? We're in the 80s, we're in Guadalupes, and now we're going to zip back um, to a very different time in Malayan history. And each period felt very lived in. Um, the, the characters all felt very distinct. When we spoke earlier about that, uh, that jealousy and the very intimate little ways in which irritations and tensions with one another can play out, again, that was very well thought through. But all those things also contribute to, like you said, um, I would not say this is a feel-good read. I don't think it was intended to be that way. Um, there is a lot of um, there is a lot of pain layered in. There is a lot of um, there's a f- almost propulsive yet meditative quality to reading the book. So it, it's constantly pushing forward. It's constantly, you know, kind of propelling itself towards a resolution. But at the same time, the pace and the dwelling of being stuck in a place, um, that was also what made it feel, I think, um, strangely meditative, like a meditation that is uncomfortable. So stuck in a place is so good because... I loved the sense of place in this book. I mean, it's set in largely in Kuala Lipis in Pahang. Um, and when it's set there, you know, you feel the heat, you smell mm. the river, you, you know, almost see the trees and the streets and, and, um, what it's like to live in this colonial crazy bungalow. Um, and I love by that. a man with too much time on yes, his hands. Yes. Yes. And a lot of trauma, it sounds like. Um, I love the feel of this book. You know, it drops you straight into, um, being in a very specific setting. And of course, being Malaysian, that's particularly exciting. It's always great to see the world, um, your world represented in a book somehow. Um, 
And I think that what I particularly like about the book is that, um, and Catherine talked about this earlier, the idea of telling stories that we may not, even we ourselves may not know, um, taking historical events, but examining what fell through the cracks. And that was what made me sad. A lot of the the sadness or the the sort of feeling of, oh gosh, this must have been. Like you can imagine people that you might know or people that you've seen living through these events. And I think that's what makes this book so powerful. And it's interesting, right? Because we're talking about it um, in a way that you usually reserve for characters that you have... Mm, what's the word that that you say are rooting for or that you you want to succeed and this is not that kind of book um instead i think it's one that encourages a sense of empathy because the truth is that uh nobody is nobody is perfect um nobody i'm not even sure that any of them would in all truthfulness uh in all truthfulness, describe themselves as a good person. Um, and the ones who do, you probably shouldn't trust. So um, <laughs> it's it's reading the book um, immerses you with these characters and you empathize with them. You feel like you know them very deeply and you do it all without necessarily having to like them. Uh, some books encourage you to um, feel as if you're friends with the characters, right? That there's some sort of... Um, kinship there and this book doesn't necessarily do that and i really appreciate how the, the the neat trick that that accomplishes because it allows the story therefore to be as um to be as painful as thoughtful and as uh, layered as it is because it doesn't come with a sense of judgment um, and it doesn't come with a sense of obligation to create likable characters. I love the characters. Um, not in a I liked them as people, exactly. but I love them as characters. Um, you're never bored reading about them. I did want to point out that for all of the um, authenticity of the setting um, and, and for that lived-in quality it creates, the one aspect that um, perhaps took me out of it a little bit. And, and I completely recognize that this isn't an easy thing to write, even for um, people who grew up in Malaysia and, and live here. Uh, it's small things about how people speak, um, sometimes particular nuances of tradition or customs, which um, sort of little at some points just sort of niggled at me a little bit and I and mm -hmm. felt a little bit like it took me out of that world but overall not not at all a huge deal uh, but just I, I just wanted to say that mostly to point out I think that it's actually really difficult to capture cultures in writing. Uh, it's difficult to capture Intim the intimacies of culture, I mm. think. Um, it's one thing to say, you know, as a whole, the community in uh, such and such a time tried to do this and that. Um, and quite another to look at a family and how they would have lived in that period. Um, I think that I, I get what you're saying. Um, and I think that there's also enough on the storytelling side to compensate or oh, compensate is not the right word. To um, earn it. I've kept yes. thinking it's earned it. Mm, exactly. And, and to carry you along. So um, on the whole, a book I would recommend. I mean, I, I really enjoyed reading it. I would thoroughly recommend it. And I wouldn't even, you know, some books I'll say I'd recommend it, but do it at the right time. This isn't the easiest. It's, you know, I feel like this is a great read anytime and it's not going to leave you bereft. Uh, mm. It's going to leave you with a lot to think about, but I would highly recommend it. 
Yeah, and I'm excited for uh, Catherine's next book. Me too. So we're talking today um, about Catherine Menon's Fragile Monsters, which is her debut novel. We spoke with her actually in the first part of the show. So if you missed that, you can check it out. Um, and we've just been talking about what it was like reading the book. Let us know, have you read it? Um, do you enjoy books that tell these sorts of complex stories about families and personal histories, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.